We've been in a series in Genesis, uh, talking about our origin story, the origin of humanity. Uh, we've been focusing on four key questions. Um, and today, and, and you probably have them memorized by now if you've been tracking along. Uh, last couple of weeks, we looked at that question of what's gone wrong in the world. And the Bible tells us that there's sin and there's evil and there's death in the world. And it gives us the explanation for why all this is there. And today we're gonna focus on that fourth question. What is the solution? Because God is at work, not only helping us identify the problems in the world, but he has been at work since the beginning of time to actually himself provide the solutions. And so as we think about, you know, how, how, do, how does humanity try to answer these basic questions? Every philosophy, every religion in the world tries to answer these. And God's word has what I propose are the absolutely best comprehensive answers to these questions. And so today we're going to look at the fourth question, what is the solution, uh, a little bit more in depth. We're going to do things a little differently today. Because today's, uh, today's passage in Genesis 12 lines up really beautifully with our our emphasis on global missions. And so for the next seven weeks, we have kind of a season of a global missions offering, global missions emphasis that you'll be hearing about. So to do that today, I'm gonna to preach for about 10 or 12 minutes on the passage. And then Ronald Sanchez, our director for missions, is gonna come up and talk about what that looks like here at Calvary, both past, present, and future. All right, so that's what we're gonna do a little bit different today. All right, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read the scripture for today. It's a short passage, Genesis 12. Verses one through four. And this is what God's word says. The Lord said, had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, short passage today, but really an interesting transition that is happening here in the scriptures. Uh, I've heard it said that the Bible is like a library, and I really like that idea that there are so many different books and different kinds of books. There's history, there's literature, there's genealogy, there's parables. Uh, there's prophecy. So you can look at the Bible as a library of books, but you also can look at the Bible as one story. This library is telling one meta huge narrative, one huge story. And if you look at it that way, then from Genesis 1 through 11, the chapters we've been looking at the last few weeks, they're basically the prologue of this meta narrative, right? They're, they're setting up the foundations of the story. When I think of a prologue, especially of like an epic film, I think of Lord of the Rings, you know, that, that trilogy, just amazing, very long movies, right? What do they do at the beginning of Lord of the Rings? They spend about three or four minutes, which is a long time for a film, right? But they go back into the past, you know, thousands of years into the past to, to do the prologue, to set up the key events that lead to the telling of the main story. And then, and that is what we see in Genesis 1 through 11, these huge earth shattering, earth shaping events that lead up to the telling of the main story. And like in Lord of the Rings, these, these, these uh, you know, enormous universal things are happening and then suddenly the camera zooms in, right? And it focuses in on the Shire and the life of a hobbit. 
And then that's where the story really begins, right? The Bible's similar in that way. Genesis 1 through 11 has, has these huge things that are going on. They set up some explanations for us. But then in Genesis 12, it's like the camera zooms in and now we're gonna follow the story of this one man named Abraham. And it's gonna be very detailed and very specific, but it's gonna go somewhere. It's, it's the story that begins the whole rest of the stories of the Bible. And then if you think of the Bible as one book, then Revelation is the epilogue. It's what's still to happen in the future. It has not happened yet. Uh, it will happen in the days to come. So we're living in that time between Genesis 12 and Jude, the last book of the Bible before Revelation. And we get to be part of that story very, even more than you may have imagined as we see this scripture today. It's gonna to be very easy for you to hear this and kind of say, well, that's Abraham and that's good, but what does it have to do with me? So I really wanna challenge you to find that, that place that you connect with this and don't just hear it as a Bible story that has nothing to do with, with us, all right? The last two weeks, we were looking at the story of Noah. And, and in Noah, we find that it's a story of judgment and a story of salvation, right? God actually does something. He provides an ark to save Noah and his family. But it's just a, a salvation from death. And that's a symbol of what God gives us in our spiritual salvation. But today we wanna to look at the origin, not of salvation, but the origin of redemption. And stop and think about the difference maybe for a moment, right? Salvation is that sense of, okay, we've been saved from our sins and we know that we have eternal life guaranteed in Christ in heaven. But redemption goes a little further, right? It includes salvation, right? You can't have redemption without salvation, but it includes a sense of purpose and calling and mission because why else are we here on earth after receiving Jesus? Are we just waiting for heaven? Are we just waiting for eternal life and just hope that this life, you know, whatever we do, we do? Well, we're gonna to see today that that's not the case, that God actually invites us. Not only does he redeem us, but he invites us to be part of his redemption story that he's working out in the world. So we see here with Abram in Genesis 12 that God begins to zoom in on one character and he's gonna build out the story for the rest of the, of the books of the Bible through Abram. And he makes it clear what the purpose is gonna be, right? Redemption of all nations. Did you catch that? He said, through you, all the families of the earth or all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, it's important to understand when the Bible uses the term nations, uh, it, it's, it's translating from the original Hebrew and Greek, but in our language, it might be better described as ethnic groups or people groups, all right? So that there's actually multiple people groups within one nation, as we might think of politically, right? So when you think of China, you might think of one nation, but God sees dozens of people groups, ethnic groups that are divided by different languages and character and, uh, and uh, customs and, uh, and language and traditions, religion, and so on. So God is saying to Abraham, through you, I am starting my redemption story because all the nations will be blessed. Now, if you were to back up and look at Genesis 11, what happened in Genesis 11, right before this? Uh, the, 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 the peoples of the world build a tower of Babel and God scatters them around to the earth. So Genesis 11, God has scattered the nations. Genesis 12, God says, okay, now let's begin the plan, the process of redeeming the nations to come back into the family of God. And so throughout the scriptures, God is gonna continue this purpose. In Isaiah 46, he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. My purpose will stand, says the Lord, and I will do all that I please. God constantly reminds us that he, he's given us a glimpse of what he's gonna do and that he's gonna get it done no matter what happens on the earth. 
And then in Revelation 5.9, if you glimpse into the future, into that epilogue of the story, we see that, that there, are, there are people from every tribe and language and people and nation worshiping Jesus. And that is what's going to happen because God says it will happen. It's a promise he gives to Abraham. He's going to do it through him. And in the end, we get a glimpse of the future. It actually does happen. One of the things I love about Calvary these days is we're a very diverse group. We have a lot of different nationalities represented here. And it's a beautiful picture of that end time when every nationality, every tongue, every people will be represented before the throne of God. So what we see in Genesis 12 is we see God saying, hey, this is how the story is going to unfold and I'm going to do it through you. He calls Abraham. But when he calls Abraham, I want to suggest to you point number one, that he calls us as well. In the New Testament, the word for church is ecclesia. And ecclesia means to be called out for a special purpose, to be called out and assembled for a purpose. So like for Abraham, it was a journey that was going to involve faith and trust. God says, I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. You're not, you're not going to know all the steps, but I'm going to take you one step at a time as you put your faith and your trust in me. We are also invited to participate in the story of God, not only for our own lives, but for the world as we'll see here in just a moment. So God calls us like he calls Abraham, but he calls us to be distinct, point number two, right? He, now that's not directly stated in this passage, but throughout the Bible, we see that when God calls a people, an ecclesia for himself, is he calls them out to be different, to be holy, to be sanctified. And this is a topic for another day, but, but church, I believe we need a renovation in this area of spiritual formation so that people can, can see the difference that Christ makes in us. I, I mean, what's the difference between us as Christians and really good people who don't believe Jesus, but they're good people, right? What is the difference? Like, can people actually tell there's a difference? Or maybe in our life purpose, what is the difference in the life purpose of a believer, like just you and me, just every, every day, ordinary believers, versus the life purpose of someone who's just trying to live a good life? Is there a difference? And God calls us to be distinct in how we live and in what we're living for. So God calls us to be distinct. And as we see here in Abraham in verse two, that he blesses us, but that point goes with the next one, right? It's, it's a two-part coin, right? It, God blesses us to be a blessing. Look at verse two to four again. God says, I will make you into a great nation. So out of Abraham, the nation of Israel will be formed and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And he goes on to say at the end of verse three, and all the peoples or all the families or all the nations of the earth, the ethnics of the earth will be blessed through you. So you see that balance in that relationship, the covenant that God makes with Abraham is he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do great things in and through you, but it's not going to be just for you, right? I'm going to bless you so that all the nations of the earth will one day come back to know me. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. These two go together. And I think we'll never fully grasp our missional purpose until we put those two things together. That every way in which God blesses us, and that's just not just monetarily, right? The gifts you have, the relationships you have, the, the, the tasks that God has called you to do, every way God has blessed us is not just for our own good, although that's good, right? It's for our good, but it's not just to stop there. It's so that we could use those things to be a blessing to others. And the question becomes to whom, right? And, and Jesus said, love your neighbors. Jesus said, you know, be aware of people around you, love the, love the poor, the sick, have compassion. But more than all, the theme of the Bible 
is to love the nations, to make sure that every people group has an opportunity to one day be in that revelation picture, worshiping before the throne of God, being part of the best eternity that is yet to come. That is our mandate, to be on mission with God and make sure that we are helping this happen. Jesus makes this clear in the Great Commission, right? Before he goes back to heaven, after he does the heavy lifting of, of redemption, right? He dies on the cross for our sins. He raises from the dead. But then he says, hey, to you all, my disciples, the church, I give the commission to go and make disciples of all nations. There's that phrase again, right? Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always. So Jesus gives us the Great Commission, but he also says something very interesting in Matthew 24, 14. See, because this mission isn't just tied to making sure that all the nations have, have a church in them eventually. This mission is also tied to the second coming of Jesus. Listen to Matthew 24, 14, where it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a testimony to all nations. There it is again. And then the end will come. Now, I don't know how you view the second coming of Jesus. We probably, most of us don't think about it very much. If you're young, you're thinking, hey, I want to live my life first and then, then, then let him come. But let me put it this way. Are you tired of the brokenness in this world? Are you tired of sin and death and destruction and evil and wickedness? That all will be done away with when Jesus comes again. And so as believers, we need to be looking for that day. And this tells us that we can actually help bring that day come to pass, right? We can't force it, obviously, but we can be participants in that. This gospel will be made known to all the nations, and then, Jesus says, the end will come. And as if that's not enough, Paul reminds us that Abraham's story is ours, that his purpose is ours. In, Genesis, in Galatians 3, look at on the screen here, 7 and 9, all the way, and, and then 29, Paul says this, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Gentiles is anybody who's not a Hebrew or an Israelite. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those, including you and me, who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's good news, right? I want to be blessed like Abraham. Uh, he doesn't need to make a great nation out of me. We don't need, you know, a nation of chans in the world. But I just like that I, I'm under the blessing of Abraham. That's a great thing. Look at verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But remember, if we want the blessing, we also get the purpose, right? We get the mission. We get the task of making sure that we help make God's name known in all the world. So there it is. Genesis 12, 1 through 4 in a nutshell for you. And this originates the story of humanity's redemption in Abraham. And then Jesus comes, does his work, and then he gives us, the church, the mandate to extend this blessing until every ethnic group on the planet has at least a handful of worshipers. And then the end will come. Now, why are we sharing this today? Well, not only is it in the text, but also because Calvary has historically been sharply focused on this mission. Uh, whether you've been directly involved in that or not, that's just always been part of who we are. And I'm 100% convinced that it's one of the biggest reasons why God has blessed this church to this day. So the question is, are we going to continue on? Are we going to be part of this task? What you'll hear in just a moment is that several of our mission partners are on those front lines trying to reach those ethnic groups that have not yet known. And that's exciting. But what we need to make sure of is that we are all participating in the task somehow. So here you're going to look at five quick ways to be involved. 
Ronald will go over them as well in a moment, but I just want to leave them with you. First is you can pray. Like you don't necessarily need to be the one that goes as a missionary, right? But you can pray for nations, for missionaries, for what your role is to be in this process. God is inviting us to be part of Abraham's story, to receive the blessing and the purpose. Start by praying about it. Say, God, what can I do? Secondly, you can give sacrificially. You'll see these envelopes in your pews for the next seven weeks. Uh, I encourage you, aside from your regular giving, pray about giving something. Maybe some of you might fast in Lent. If you fast during Lent, let's say I'm not going to do Starbucks or Cokes. Hey, put your Starbucks and Coke money in here, right? Put it to use for global missions, whatever you want to do. But pray about maybe giving sacrificially, and that way you can participate in, in this mission of all nations. You can go on a short-term mission trip. We have opportunities or service projects that you'll hear about us doing in our community. You can welcome the nations among us. Ronald will talk more about that. And you can mobilize others to get involved in missions. So Genesis 12, uh, God has told Abraham that he's going to be a blessing to all nations. That promise is given to us, church. And the question is, what are we doing individually and as a church to participate in that? Because it's, it's part of the history of the world. And there's no better story to be involved in than that. I'd like to ask Ronald to come on up as he tells us now what, the, what does this look like at Calvary and what it looks like in the present and in the future. I would love to, okay, that was done. I would love to share with you um, Calvary's past, present, and, and, and future of missions, or pretty much what Calvary has done, how we're still involved. And I want to raise the question, what, what is it for us? Like, what, how should we continue to be involved in missions? I want to give you a, a brief history of Calvary's mission. In 1958, within one year of Calvary being started, a women's missionary union was formed to learn about uh, and inform the church about world missions. It was in 1959, right after that, that the women missionary union had a missionary from the Philippines come to share and take them on an imaginary tour about the Philippines and praying for the people of that nation. And interestingly enough, in 2000, Calvary had a robust community of Filipino believers in our membership that continues strong until today. Uh, Calvary ha has historically given about 20% of our budget and, and of, of offerings to missions. That includes uh, mission staff since at least the 1990s. And most of these funds at the beginning, they were usually uh, uh, sent towards a cooperative program, the RGVBA, uh, the BGCT, and the SPC. And this was sent to fund the missionaries um, that these organizations will send. It was that by 1999, Calvary hired a part-time minister of missions, uh, Scott Rader, and began partnering directly with missionaries and national pastors in Matamor and Saltillo. So pretty much it went from saying, hey, instead of giving all of this money towards these cooperative programs, which is a good thing, we also want to be more involved. How can we become more involved as a church in the mission of God? It was in 2004 that Calvary wanted to become more directly, uh, even more directly involved in, in missions, and they hired a full-time um, minister 
for this position, who was David, Pastor David Chan. He was called to be the missions pastor in 2004. In 2005, for the first time ever, Calvary says, we're going to take an exploratory mission trip to Kenya, overseas. In partnership with one of our former minister of music, uh, Mark Richardson, who was serving as a missionary in Africa. And this exploratory trip, it took 30 people from here, 30 of our members were sent to Kenya for the first time ever on a short-term mission trip overseas. And there was definitely hunger for direct impact. Again, we just didn't want to say we're sending money over here so that other people may go, which is again, a great thing. But we started to say, how can we become involved in God's mission? And the story continues. In 2006, Elizabeth Zamora was hired as the community minister uh, director, and she has greatly extended Calvary's local service and outreach projects. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit of how this um, has been expanding. And in subsequent years, as Calvary engaged in more mission work, more mission trips, and developed more mission partnerships, the mission committee shifted some of the funding away from cooperative program or cooperative entities so that Calvary could be mobilized and have a more direct impact in missions. In 2012, Pastor Chad was called to be the next uh, mobilization and global um, impact pastor. And in 2023, I was appointed as a global mission director to help guide Calvary into the next phase of mission involvement. And it is good to talk about the past, but I, what gets me really excited is that Calvary, not only the history demonstrates that we have been a church who cares about missions, but presently we're very much involved in mission. Calvary continues to be present missionally in, uh, in missions locally and around the world. Because of your generosity, because of your service, we're able to have local classes that provide skills to women like Latina Hope. And we're gonna have some pictures up there. Uh, this is a class that is specific for women in the community who are interested in starting a business or who want to learn how to start a business. This semester, we're also offering a, a, a class called Faith and Finances. This is a class that teaches people how to create a budget and how to manage your finances in a way that is God-honoring. One of our strongest minister, uh, ministries uh, that uh, gets me very excited, and uh, they actually had an outreach yesterday, is Bread of Life. It's a benevolence ministry. Once a month, a group of people, a group of brothers and sisters will come together on a Saturday morning to provide food for people in need. In the month of December, we had over 120 families who were impacted through this ministry. And I have a, a video up there for you so you guys can just see the line, how long the line was uh, this Saturday in December. Yeah, so uh, if, if you go like this, you will be able to see it better. <laughs> I just wanted you to do some neck exercise. <laughs> you see, we don't do ministry. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention this. Yesterday, the line was as large. It was very large and a lot of people were impacted by this ministry. Um, but I want to say that we just don't do ministry, these local outreaches, for the sake of doing charitable work. It's good. 
But we do ministry because through this, people can come to know Jesus. You see, we want all that we do to lead to disciple making. And this is why Bread of Life is not only a ministry that provides food for those in need, but it's also there to provide the true Bread of Life so that people will never go hungry again. While some of these servants are uh, giving out food, there are others also praying for people, sharing the gospel with those who are open to have a gospel conversation here. These local ministries are thriving because you give and because you serve. This is happening because of your generosity, the generosity of your heart and your heart of servitude. This is happening because of your sacrificial gifts and your acts of service in response to what God has done for you. So we thank you, Calvary, and we thank God for your life. Not only are we only able to have ministries that are having a local impact, but also we have ministries that are having a local impact around the world. Last year, we were able to send over 30 people to six different countries on short-term mission trips. Some of these teams, they focus on equipping and training churches. Others, they focus on coming alongside churches in places where the soil is hard, where it's hard to preach Jesus, where people don't want to come to know Jesus, like the Republic of Georgia and Germany. And other of these mission trips were focused on missionary care. To this say, I am happy to report to you that we have 18 missionary units that we support as a church. We have missionaries who are involved in mobilizing and equipping disciples uh, of Jesus in the work of the gospel, like Agustin. He's someone who lives in Florida, but he travels constantly to South America and Central America equipping disciples. But one of the coolest things that he is doing is working on the school of mission that will equip other disciples and send them over to Northern Africa, to a country where the minority of people, less than 2% of the people know about Jesus. And this is what he's doing. And guess what? We are involved in this work. If you have never thought of going to North Africa to do any type of ministry work, somehow, some way, when you give, you are impacting this ministry. And you are very much part of that. I think of Philippians, when Paul wrote to the, to the, to the Philippians and he said, you guys are partners with me in the, in the ministry. You participate with me. In that same way, we can consider ourselves partners with these missionaries that we support. We're also uh, part of supporting people like Paul and Monica. They have a special place in our heart for they came from within us. They, they were sent from us. And they have been in South Asia for a few years now. They dedicated two years of their lives to learn the language, uh, two languages actually. And I'm happy to report to you, church, that Jose Luis Jimenez and I, we had the privilege to visit them and they are thriving. The ministry is thriving. They have people, they have a strong team of nationals who are passionate to reach their own with the gospel of Jesus. We also have other people that we support like Devis, David and Denise who have also gone out from Calvary and who are doing missions of a special operations type in the Middle East. 
One of the things that David is working on is on developing a school for girls in a place where studying after the age of 12 is legal for women and it's not allowed by the government. Once again, the goal is not just to provide education, but it is so that through these efforts, through these sacrifices, people will know about the love and the justice of the God that we serve. I had an opportunity to speak with David a few months ago on a podcast. And by the way, this is a promotion of the Missions Podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you should listen to it. A great host is speaking there. <laughs> and, and in this podcast, when, when David was speaking and, and Denise were, were talking, they were sharing how this world, the, these girls, for the very first time ever, they had experienced a type of love that they have never experienced before. It was with tears in their eyes that they were sharing this. And we're part of that. We're part of that because we are supporting them. We have become partners with people like David and Denise. Another great opportunity that we have had is to partner up with Luca and Ago. This is an Argentinian couple that some of you may have known, may have come to know. They came to study at the Rio Grande uh, Bible Institute and they returned last year to do full-time ministry um, to mobilize and train young adults to share the gospel with those who have not heard. And one of the things that they're also working on is about mobilizing some of these young adults to unreach places. At this point, they are working with four that who may go overseas to unreach places in the next two years. And I asked Luca to, to record a video and to thank you and share a little bit more about how uh, the ministry is going over there in Argentina. Hey Calvary, uh, we are Luca and Agostina from Argentina and we want to give thanks to God for your faithful giving to his purpose. During the last seven months through our ministry called Mission Together, we have started two church planting projects here in Argentina in areas where there are no churches. Many people have received Christ, have been baptized, and they are growing in their faith. In this process, we involved more than 200 young people from different churches of Argentina uh, to, be, uh, to train them in disciple-making, uh, mobilize them to missions in a week that we call Together Mission Training, a week of disciple-making training and practical ministry in the community. Many of them have a call to cross-cultural mission. Uh, we are developing a plan for them to be sent overseas in the next years. Also, we are participating in a church plan here in our city and it's growing a healthy, strong through home ministry. So thank you, Camry, for being part of all that God is doing here. Uh, we really miss you and love you. Um, God bless you. Bye. Amen. Can we praise God for that? Amen. We thank the Lord for what he has done and what he continues to do. But we must also start asking the question or start thinking, what does God want us to do next? Where is he leading us? 
And I would like to propose to you that the heart of God and the mission of God continues to be the same. It hasn't changed. That is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But also that the need to accomplish this goal is still great. You see, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus tells his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send workers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as Pastor David briefly noted, there are five different ways in you can participate in being part of this harvest force. And the first one is to pray. I know that I personally have to grow in this area. Um, and, and, and I find myself sometimes not, not, not praying this same prayer that Jesus says, hey, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And I want to encourage you to look within and ask yourself, how often do I pray for this? How often do I pray for God to move, for God to send people into his harvest? There's a quote that I heard a while back, and which God reminds me from time to time when my prayer becomes very self-centered. And it says like this, if God was to answer all your prayers, would your world change or would the world change? If God was to answer all of your prayers, would your world change or would the world be changed? Every second uh, Monday of, of, of the month, what we have decided to do as Calvary is that we're coming to pray for the nations. We're coming to pray for those people that we have partnered with. And actually, the next prayer night, the next uh, mission prayer night will be happening tomorrow at 7 p.m. Uh, and we'll be having it there at the parlor. So we invite you guys to come and pray with us. The other way that you can be part of the Harvest Force is by welcoming. Did you know that the nations are here? More and more societies become more globalized. We have people from all uh, places, uh, from all different cultures. And that is just an amazing thing. That is a great opportunity that we have right before us. So a way that you can be engaging and be welcome is uh, get involved with one of our ministry partners, uh, Global Engage, which is... A, a, a kind of like an arm of, of the Baptist student ministry that is focused on receiving and welcoming international students. And if uh, what, what this ministry does is it helps families to partner with an international student. So you pray for them, you love them, and you share Jesus with them. Those three things. And if you have some questions on how you can be involved here, you can talk to the most beautiful woman in the world, um, my wife, uh, or you can talk to me and we can do something about that. Um, so, another way, sorry, I got a little bit, started thinking, oh yes, it's beautiful. <laughs> another way that you can be involved in the harvest force is mobilized. Tell others about the great mission. You know, sometimes we don't tell people and encourage people to go because we, else, we ourselves feel disqualified or because we don't think we're going. But who said that that, that is true? Who says that in order for you to tell others to go, you have to go yourself. No, you can encourage others to go. 
and pray for them and encourage them. We are a body. Not everybody needs to be doing the same thing, but we all have to be working for the same purpose. Fourth, you can go. Do you feel the call to go overseas? Do you feel the call to be immobilized, to, to just go to the people? Uh, whether it is a short-term mission trip or long-term, uh, whether it is locally or nationally, uh, or internationally, I'm sorry. Talk to us, come and talk to us. We want to support you. And lastly is uh, send or, or give. You see, for many years, Calvary has been a very generous church. And as we mentioned already, 20% of our budget goes towards missions and stuff. And by the way, if, if, you get, if you have not gotten this missions report, I recommend you get it so you can know exactly how the money is being utilized. We want to be transparent in this and how the global missions offering will also be utilized as well. Um, but for many years, we have been a very generous church. Uh, but what if, what if besides being a church that is generous and that supports missionaries all over the world, we also become a sending church? And what I mean by that is what if we become a hub for missionary sending, sending people of our own to the places where darkness is prevailing, where darkness has not been pushed by the light that only Jesus can bring. I think of the church in Antioch, a church that sent Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 3, it says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And we know what happens. Paul becomes one of the greatest missionaries ever known in the history of Christianity. You see, the, 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 the scripture says that while the church was worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for this work that I have called them to do. And what if, what if we were to start worshiping and fasting in such a way that the Lord will move again like that? that the Holy Spirit will call from within us the next Paul and the next Barnabas. What if we start praying to the Lord for more people to go into the harvest, to go into the places where the light has not shined, where there is no access to the gospel? And this can be whether they go to, to this nation to make disciples and plant churches or whether they go to the unreached to do the same thing. What if we start praying to the Lord of the harvest, raise workers to go to the harvest for it is plentiful, but the workers are few. I want to leave you with that. And as we're singing this last song, think how am I going to respond to the Lord today? How am I going to be involved and be part of the harvest force? that Jesus wants to send, that the Father wants to send 
to the harvest field.